You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. I'm so excited. I can't wait till next week. It's going to be so much fun. We're all going to get together. One church in two locations and four different services for one Sunday is going to be one church in one location. I mean, you can't ask for anything better than that. And uh, please, if you're a guest or visitor or newcomer, you are more than welcome. We'd love for you to experience that with us next week, 10 o'clock at the Sirius Schreiner Center over in Cheswick. And um, it'll be a great, great experience um, because we're talking about how we as a, as, a, as, a, as a community of believers are going to be moving forward into the future. It is time, as Donnie just said on that video, for us to keep moving forward. But what do you think is the number one thing that keeps people from moving forward? Change. But it, what about, it's fear of change, is it not? I think fear is the thing that keeps us from moving forward in any area of life. Um, do you remember your, your childhood fears, those thresholds in life that we, we all came to? And it's like, you know, for instance, the first time you take the training wheels off, oh, that's a scary thing, you know, you're, you're afraid, are you going to fall? Fortunately, hopefully you have a parent or a dad or somebody running behind you and holding you as you walk. How about your first day of school? Anybody remember that first day of school? It's funny, no matter how old we get, we remember those experiences, do we not? And then, um, you know, that first time you stood at the edge of the high dive. Are you going to jump or aren't you? Are you going to make the dive or aren't you? And it's a scary, scary moment. And, uh, and also the first date. I mean, that can be a pretty frightening experience also as you're growing up. Every, every threshold in life involves some level of fear of failure that must be conquered. What happens to a person who grows up and they fail to cross over those thresholds? They fail to rise to the challenge. Would you not agree with me that their their life gets stifled? You reach a point where your fears keep you from moving to the next level of maturity. You're afraid to explore the outside world. You're afraid to take some risks. You're afraid to do the hard thing that's going to take you to the next level. You're afraid, whatever it is, if it's college, a career, or training, or military, or whatever that level of life is, you're so afraid of getting married, you're so afraid of not getting married, you're so afraid of so many things that you fail to thrive. And I think what happens when we hit that point is our maturity stalls, our potential is lost, and, and, and we just we get stuck where we are. I think the same thing happens in organizations that fail to innovate, that fail to invest in the future. Uh, you know, we in Pittsburgh are familiar with how the, how the steel industry failed to invest and failed to innovate back in the 70s and 80s. And as a result, we as an economy got stuck and failed and, and we had to take a lot of steps backwards before now, fortunately, we're beginning as a, as a city and as a community to bounce back again, but that took years for, for us as a community to, to see that happen. So we're talking about the ways in which God is wanting and counting on his people to advance God's mission. That's what this series about It's Time is all about. 
Because the Bible is filled with stories of individuals who rose to the occasion when it was time to, to step out into the unknown. We talked about Abraham last week, to step up to a challenge, to step into authenticity, to step up for justice, to stand up for justice, and to repair broken places. Abraham, Joshua, David, Esther, Nehemiah, these are the people we're looking at over this sermon series. They all faced time when it was times when they, they, they had to step into the future in order to change history. And they all did something to change the course of history for their people. They had the choice to either accept the challenge or to step back from it and to just accept the way things were and the way things should have always been. But if they had done that, then the kingdom of God had, would not have advanced in their lifetime. So we want to be the people. I want to be the people that continues to say to God, God, what's the next step for the future of this mission that you have placed us on as a community of believers? So today, with Joshua as our example, I want to talk about the places that God takes us to help us face our fears. The places God takes us to help us Face our fears. And why am I going to talk about that? Because I believe the number one reason we fail to thrive is that fear of failure. So the first place I want to go to is a place called Mount Nebo. Not Mount Nebo Road in the North Hills. I'm talking about the Mount Nebo that's in Jordan. And if you have your Bible, turn with me to the last chapter in the book of Deuteronomy. The last chapter of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. This is the end of Moses, is where we begin with Joshua. So that's the first place that we're going to look at. And, and I'm calling Mount Nebo the place of acceptance in Joshua's life. Deuteronomy 34, it begins by saying this. And this is really the commentary. This is the eulogy of Moses' life. When we get to the last book of Deuteronomy, the last chapter of Deuteronomy, Moses, the greatest leader that Israel has ever known, the person that brought them out of slavery in Egypt and took them to the edge of the promised land. Now he's reaching the end, and uh, it's written in a very dramatic way. It says, Then Moses went up to Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab and climbed Pishkath Peak, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him the whole land. From Gilead, as far as Dan, all the land of Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah, extending to the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev, the Jordan Valley with Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zor. And then the Lord said to Moses, this is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have now allowed you to see it with your own eyes, but you will not enter the land. Put that picture up again. I want to see that. Do we have that picture? That is the view from Mount Nebo, which is in the, the country of Jordan. It's right across the Dead Sea. That's the Dead Sea that you can see there. The Dead Sea, the Jordan River, is, is the border between Israel and Jordan. And so here Moses gets the people to the edge, or God, yeah, and God takes Moses to the top of Mount Nebo. Then it says, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, just as the Lord had said. In fact, there's another picture here. And uh, this, is, this is a picture up there on top of Mount Nebo. And that 
um, bronze sculpture there is a, uh, an artistic replica of the bronze um, uh, staff and the bronze snake that Moses had to craft whenever the people were being attacked by snakes. And God said, put this, you know, put a snake, a bronze snake on your staff and the people who see that will be healed from their snake bites. This is the symbol of the medical profession, if you understand that. And this is where it comes from. And up there on Mount Nebo, you see there's a snake around this staff, and that's up there as a memorial to Moses, because that is, according to Scripture, near the place where he died. But then it goes on in verse 9 here of Deuteronomy chapter 4. It says, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him, doing just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Notice this eulogy about Moses. There has never been another prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. The Lord sent him to perform all the miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all of his servants and his entire land. With mighty power, Moses performed terrifying acts in the sight of Israel. Boom. That's the end of the book of Deuteronomy, the end of the Torah. So, Mount Nebo, Joshua, Mount Nebo, we're talking about Joshua and where God takes people to face their fears. Moses now is dead. Who is the successor to Moses? It's Joshua. Now, Moses had to face his own fears in order to take the people from where they were. Remember, remember Moses' story. I could be preaching on Moses today because Moses at the burning bush was told to go from the wilderness where he was, escaping from Egypt, to go back to Egypt to deliver the people. And if you remember the story of Moses' dialogue with God in the burning bush, he gave every reason to God why he should not be the person to do that. The bottom line is he was just too afraid to do it. God convinced him. God used Moses and Aaron for 40 years. He led the people. He took them out of Egypt, brought them to Mount Sinai. God appeared to them, the stone tablets, the Torah, the law, the Ten Commandments. He brought them to the edge of the promised land that God had told Abraham and Isaac, their ancestors, that he was going to give them a place called Kadesh Barnea. He sent out the spies. The spies came back. Two spies came back with good reports, Joshua and Caleb. The other ten spies said it's a big, it's a place with big walled cities and with big people. And yeah, there's a lot of great things there that we could enjoy, but we're too afraid to go. The people believed the fearful report. And as a result, they did not enter the promised land at Kadesh Barnea. And they went back around and around for another old 20 or 30 years until that whole older generation that left Egypt to go to the promised land died off because their fears kept them from going in and moving into the future that God had for them. So now Moses is gone. All the other older leaders, all the other 10 spies have died off. Who are the two spies that God had kept around to give them the courage to go into the promised land? It was Joshua and Caleb were the only two of the old folks that were still left. Because they believed that God still had a future for them, and it was the promised land. So we come to the end of the road. God lets Moses see the land of promise, but he couldn't take them any further. And Joshua gets tapped as the next leader. The mantle of responsibility falls on him. And so so Joshua has to decide, am I going to accept responsibility to lead these people or not? 
And that's why I call Mount Nebo the place of acceptance. Will you accept responsibility to go forward? Will you take the leadership to move this people into the next generation? Are you going to help them enter in to what God has in store for them? He had to decide that. And he did so because he knew that others had done it for him. Moses had done it for him. Joshua understood that he was standing on the shoulders of Moses. And here's the point. All of us stand on the shoulders of others who cleared the path for us. Right? I mean, let's be honest. Somebody cleared the path for you. Who was that for you in your life? Who paved the way for you? Did your parents pave the way for you? I hope you did. I hope they were part of that. Did others? Who else helped to pave the way for faith in your life? Who helped you to find God in your life? Who gave you a sense of meaning and purpose as they found it in God in your life? Who paved the way for you? You know, I look at my life and I think, thank God for my parents. They were a big part of it. Bringing me to church when I was a little kid. Taking me to Sunday school. Holding me in their arms when we sang those hymns. Something happened inside of me in that little Methodist church in Windover Hills in South Park. That, that did something inside of me. Then whenever I kind of walked away as a teenager and got bored with church. And like most people do. They just say this isn't interesting enough for me. I went away and then it was a friend who invited me to a church that was experiencing this charismatic renewal that hit Pittsburgh back in the 70s. And it was there that I heard the gospel. And Robert Owen helped pave the way for me to experience that. 25 years ago, there was a small group of people that were meeting in Penn Hills. And there was a young 30-year-old pastor in State College that had a wonderful thing happening up there and two young kids and loving the community and loving Penn State and loving the, the whole atmosphere. And, and yet God was tugging on my heart to do something crazy and start a church without any support. I found that little community of people in Penn Hills. They invited me to come and be their pastor Dave Olszewski got that smart group of people started, so I believe I'm standing on the shoulders of Dave Olszewski and the few people that, that got that group together, meeting in that, in that little Masonic Hall on Salzburg Road. I, I, I'm standing on the shoulders of those people. And then I come to find out that there was a move of God in this valley and in Penn Hills before I ever got there. John Blewett, lead pastor of a Presbyterian church up there that was a dynamic church that really planted a lot of seeds. He was gone at that time. We reap the benefit of John Blewett's ministry here in the valley. Ray Patterson's ministry did a lot to help this church have a solid group of people upon who we were able to keep building. And so I believe we're standing on the shoulders of people like John Blewett and Ray Patterson. Then we had this community and we felt when we were running three services and couldn't fit enough people in here, we needed to expand. We looked for land. We looked for property. There wasn't anything really that we felt was available for us that we could get, but we believed God was moving and we had a, had a capital campaign and we raised funds for, to go on an expedition and we didn't even know where we were going to go. And like 
Like Lewis and Clark, we headed west, and we didn't know where we were going to end up, although we ended up heading up a little bit northeast to the mills when the Mills Mall opened up. And there we started a, a, a second site up there at the mills. And the people at the mills are standing on the shoulders of the people here in Oakmont who did what we could to see that there was a better future than what we could do right here. So we're all standing on the shoulders, whether it's an organization, whether it's you personally in your own faith walk, we're all standing on the shoulders of others. And Joshua was standing on the shoulders of Moses, and now Moses was gone, and Joshua was being tapped to become the next leader. He had to accept responsibility to lead, did he not? Do you think he accepted that? What would have happened if he said, no, nah, you know, God, I think I'd rather stay here in the wilderness. The fight's going to be a little too strong for me. No. He led the people, and because of that, they went in. Let's take a look at the first few verses of, J- of Joshua chapter 1. Turn a page in your Bible. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, and he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I'm giving them. I promised you what I promised you, what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot, you will be on land that I have given you. And again, everyone comes to the place and time when the future is placed in your hands. One day you kind of wake up and you, you realize that now the baton has been passed to you. And it, it may be, you know, as you're, in your developmental years, when you get pushed out of the nest and you realize, oh, now I'm responsible for my life. I can't let mom and dad do it all for me, pay it all for me. I have to get a job. I have to provide. I have to find a way to make my life. That is when you have to accept. What happens to young adults that don't accept that responsibility? Yeah. Still at home, 30, 40, 50, you know, I don't know. I mean, you got to accept that responsibility when you're pushed up. Maybe when you're promoted to the next level, when you realize, oh, you wanted that promotion, now you have it. Now look at the responsibility you have. Are you sure you want that responsibility? Because with the higher pay comes greater responsibility, and you have to make others produce who work underneath you now. And you're no longer just responsible for your part of the company. You're responsible for them to make their part of the company successful too. So that's a huge another level of responsibility. Will you accept that? And there's nothing greater than having a child to help you realize what responsibility is. Amen? So do you accept that role of leadership? Are you willing to be responsible? Because what happens when we refuse to accept responsibility to raise our kids, to lead our organizations, to to lead ourselves into the future? Joshua was God's succession plan to take Moses' place. And that succession plan was years in the making. We all need to be thinking of our personal succession plan. We as as a church are thinking about what's the succession plan for whatever I go. 
Because it's going to happen someday, whether God takes me before I'm ready or if I'm ready someday to go. There needs to be a plan. Who's going to take it to the next level? Who's going to take your organization to the next level when you're gone? Who's going to take responsibility for your family when you die? What's the succession plan? Because you've got to have one. And Joshua was the succession plan for Moses. And I want you to know that there are people in this church who've been riding on the backs of others who've gone before. Oh, those Sunday school teachers, I thank God they've been around and they've been teaching our kids. But you know what? They aren't there forever. And we need younger adults and younger parents and younger people to step up and say, now it's my turn to help volunteer for the children of this church. It's my turn to step up into leadership. It's my turn now. I've been blessed by this church. It's my turn to start time. It's my turn to start investing in the future. It's my turn to lead a small group. We need to continue to pass it on because if we don't pass it down to the next generation, this church has a lifespan. It would die. And that's not God's plan for Riverside. I believe God's plan for the future is that it'll be stronger after I'm gone than weaker. It'll be better after I get out of here than, than it is. If we do what God wants us to do now by investing in the future, and Moses invested in Joshua, and Joshua was ready to accept the leadership role whenever he came into it. And there will be people that will want to stand on your shoulders Who is going to be standing on your shoulders? Are we willing to accept the challenge? Here we are all on Mount Nebo. We see a future that God has for Riverside, for we individually as as people. Do you see the future that God wants? What will you do now to invest into that future, whether or not you get there? Can you believe that you want your children and grandchildren to get there? That's why we do what we do. So the place of Mount Nebo is that place where, where, where Joshua had to face those fears, that fear of will I accept it or won't I? Then we come to uh, another place, Joshua chapter 1, and, and actually the, the first verse of chapter 2, we're going to end there. But Joshua takes the role of leadership, and, and, and here in verse 6, notice it says, Be strong, God speaking to Joshua. This is why... This is what I talk about, fear. We're talking about facing fear. God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land that I swore to their ancestors that I would give them. Again, he says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Don't deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you'll be successful in everything you do. For surely this book of instruction... Or study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. For this is my command, God says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What's the common theme in those verses? God is with you, but yeah. And then he said, be what? Strong and courageous. Why do you think he had to tell him to be strong and courageous? Because he was scared. Frightening to move into the promised land. Because you know there are battles ahead. You know there's some sacrifices that you're going to have to pay. So when Moses, or when Joshua told the people that this is what God said, uh, moving down to verse 
16, the people answered Joshua saying, We will do whatever you command us. We'll go wherever you send us. We'll obey you just as we obeyed Moses. You know, that's kind of funny because they didn't... That, that, I don't know if he was encouraged by that a whole lot. <laughs> well, gee, that gives me courage, Joshua was thinking. Because they didn't obey Moses very well. But let's just assume, okay, we will obey you just as we obeyed Moses. And may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your orders and does not obey your words and everything you command will be put to death. Wow. It's like, we're going to kill each other if we don't do this. Be strong and courageous, they're telling him. And then chapter 2, verse 1. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. And he instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the Acacia Grove, really it's on the banks of the Jordan. Acacia trees are thorny trees. Those of us who went to Africa, that's all you see growing in the desert are these these acacia trees with thorns that are that long and are as hard as nails. And so when I think about Acacia Grove as a place where God takes us to face our fears, I think of the thorny decision or the thorny place of trust. That thorny place of trust where, where we have to choose, will I trust that leader? Will I believe that this is the right thing to do? Will, can I believe that they're going to take me somewhere where I've never been before and it's going to be better for me than where I am? That's the thorny place of Acacia Grove. Do you understand that? And so they made that thorny decision. They're going to trust Joshua. They're going to go wherever he he goes. Now, Joshua had earned their trust. He had led them in battle before and and success. He was recognized as the heir apparent to Moses. He was Moses' aide. God kept him and Caleb alive when all the other spies died off. God promised to give them land and he would go with them. But but to, to occupy that land, God was going to give it to them, but they had to occupy it. They had to do what they needed to do to go there. And that meant facing Jericho, a big walled city, and all the other places where they were going to face battles to be able to occupy the land. So they needed strength and they needed courage. They needed strength and they needed courage. So can we trust that, that, that we are believing that God is going to lead us to a place, but it's going to take sacrifice, it's going to take strength, it's going to take courage. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the willingness to be afraid and still act in the way you need to act. Courage is is the ability to do something you're afraid to do and still do it anyhow. If there were no fear, there would be no need for courage. So where are the acacia groves in your history? Where are those thorny places where you needed to decide, I'm going to trust that person? Maybe it was at the, at, uh, on your wedding day, I had to say, I'm going to trust that that person is the right one for me. Never been married before, don't know what this is all about. Yeah, I'm in love, but there's a bit of trust involved that you are going, that that person is going to be there for you. I think, you know, whenever I left State College to come to Penn Hills, that was a thorny decision because I absolutely loved where I was, didn't know the people where I was going, had never started a church before. 
It was a th- but I had to trust that God was leading me in that. I had to trust. When we came and bought this building from Penn Hills, they're, they're, the congregation had to trust that this was the right place for us to move. That was not an easy decision to make. It barely passed when we had a vote for us to do that. One vote could have gone either way. One vote was, was, was the borderline for the decision that we made to move into this location. We had to trust that this was the right thing. How do you know for certain that those were right decisions? You, you trust. You don't know for sure. You believe, you have faith, and you move in the right direction. But I want you to know, if you wait until you know everything perfectly and are sure about every decision, you'll probably not do much of anything. If you have to have guarantees that everything is the perfect decision and you have all the money in the bank and everything ready to make it, and there's no, if there's no faith involved, then is it a God thing? Yeah. We got to trust that God is saying this is the next step. And if you don't make that step of that thorny decision of trust, you're never going to. Next week, we're going to be talking about the path that we believe God is charting for the next chapter of our history. We're going to take a look at that new building that we purchased down by the high school right across from Riverview Park. And we're going to say, is this going to be a great place where we can invest in the future for our children, for our students, for a second site for this location, uh, perhaps a third site for Riverside? Will it be the place? Who knows? And I, you know, we don't know what the future at the mills is because we're leasing that space. And we learned a great lesson this year that lease space is not guaranteed space. And when that lease is up, will we have a place where we could still have enough room for the people to come? And this is a great opportunity, a great safety net for that. So it's very important for the mills to understand that that's a part of this also. I don't want to go into all the details because we're going to go into that next week. But we're going to be looking at how we can upgrade this place so that we don't have people staring at each other during church. We can all be looking in the same direction, hearing the same message, seeing the same person, having a much better and flattening this floor so children on a Wednesday night can have a fantastic experience because this is now the big space for children on Wednesday night. Not built for it right now. We want to make this place more usable. So we're going to give you that idea. We're going to give you the vision of all of that. But it's going to take trust. It's going to take trust. So God takes us to the place of acceptance. It takes us to the place of trust. And then Joshua ends in chapter 24. And I, I, need, to, I need to wrap this up. Joshua chapter 24, the end of Joshua's life now. He's at the end. And it's a place called Shechem. And Joshua called. Now they've conquered the land. They've occupied the land. The 12 tribes are settled in the land. God was with them. He took them there. They are now settled. And Joshua says, okay, my time, my end is coming near. And he calls all the people together, all the elders and leaders and officers. They come and they come before God. And, and, and Joshua says to the people in Joshua 24, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River. They worshiped other gods. But I took your ancestor Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led them to the land of Canaan. 
I gave them many descendants through his son Isaac. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. And to Esau I gave the mountains of Seir, while Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And he went on and he basically told the history of, the, of, of their people, the whole, the whole story of Exodus. And he follows what happens. And then he brings them to verse 14 and he says, So here's the thing, people. So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever your idols, the ancestors, or the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the river in Egypt, and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Shechem is the place of decision. The battles have been won. God proved to be with them and gave them success. But yet they still had to keep choosing which direction they would take. Would they go backwards to the place of their ancestors? Would they go back to Egypt? Or are they going to blend into the pagan culture around them? Or would they continue to follow the Lord who was with them throughout their history? Joshua called the people to decision time. And you know what? Every day is decision time for us. Every day we need to choose, am I going to choose today that I'm going to follow the Lord today? Will I let God be my leader or am I going to just blend in with the culture around me? Am I going to go back to worshiping these idols all about me, myself, and my good luck? Am I going to move in the mission of God today in the direction that God wants to go or am I going to serve myself? Every day we make that decision whether we think about it or not. Every day that decision is made based upon the actions that you select and you choose. And do your actions prove that you're following the Lord or do your actions defy that faith that you claim to have? And that's where Joshua said, choose you this day whom you will serve. Our decision to follow God is not a requirement to accept to have God's love. It is the response of God's love and grace. It is the response to God's faithfulness. It is the response to the fact that God led us out of Egypt, took us through the wilderness, brought us into this land, was with us all this time. God was gracious to us. So my act of obedience is not an act of earning God's love, it is an act of pure response to the one who knew me best and loved me first. And I want to love him back. And I want to show my love for him by living in obedience to him. And I want to continue to fulfill the mission of God in my generation. And I want to help invest in the next generation for that mission. One last verse, Joshua 1 verse 5. God says to Joshua, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus, final words to his disciples in Matthew's gospel. He said, now, he brought them up to a mountain. 
He said, go up to the mountain in Galilee that I told you about. And Jesus, after he, he had his post-resurrection appearance to them on the mountain, similar to Moses up on the mountain looking out into the future, he says, see the horizon in front of you. He says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey the commands that I have given you. And be sure of this, Jesus said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. We are standing on the shoulders of all who have gone before us and believe that mission that they are to go and help people find and follow Jesus. We as a church have that mission. Are we going to continue to help people find and follow Jesus? That's what this is all about. It's not about buildings. It's not about anything else, but helping us be the church that's going to help people find and follow Jesus into the future. But what about you? Will you accept that responsibility? Will you trust that God has a plan and a mission for your life? Will you decide to get involved in your own personal world and with this community of people and say, we are going to help people to move forward in faith? Would you bow your heads with me, please? Jesus, I just pray for this community. But I understand that we as a community are made up of individuals, and everybody as an individual must decide if we're going to accept the responsibility for the future in our own life, to lead ourselves, to lead our families, to lead our companies, to lead wherever we are in a way that's going to help people move forward in faith, move forward in the ways that God would want them. You call your people, you count on your people to keep your mission moving forward. So God, we as individuals must accept that. And as a body of believers, we need to accept that. And we need to trust that you want us to keep helping people to find and follow Jesus. And this is the way that we need to do that in the next season of our life. Help us, God, to decide to follow you. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.